0: today. Amen. Alright, so, in this concept of anxiety, as we looked at the psalm, song, song, I know it's very long, and, and I know it could, it, it was it, easy to get lost in it, but the reality is, anxiety in a lot of ways is very similar to roping. Has anyone in this room ever tightroped before? Yes, of course, Bright Shepherd would have roped before. Now, the thing about roping that's so crazy is that you are basically walking on a rope. Okay, and you are walking on a rope and typically underneath you is hundreds of feet of just air and you are just walking on this rope. And I want to go ahead and give you guys a, an example of tight roping and kind of like an explanation of what makes tight so stressful. So Aurelio, if you go back and dim them lights again, and Emily, go
1: ahead and play this video of this incredible tight rope. Here's a breakdown of the physiology and in- of Nick Molenda's 1,500 foot walk across Niagara Falls. The human foot has three main balance points, like a camera tripod. Standing on the two-inch wire reduces Nick's normal balance point by a third. However, the heel is the part of the foot most sensitive to vibration. With nerve endings that respond in as little as six ten thousandths of a second. That's more than 16 times faster than our brains process visual stimuli. And this sensitivity will help Nick rapidly adjust to the wire's oscillations. One of Nick's challenges is that humans are top heavy, with roughly two thirds of our mass in the top third of our body, with his feet close together. Nick's like an inverted pyramid with a decreased base support and increased lateral instability. But the 40-pound pole changes the physics. Bent at the end, it effectively lowers Nick's center of mass and increases what's called his moment of inertia or resistance to rotation. This means it will take more external force to knock him off balance. Nick can control external forces like wind and water, but he does need to control the tricks his mind can play. The human brain gauges balance using three streams of sensory input. The first, of course, is vision. Next is the inner ear's vestibular system, which detects changes in the head's linear and rotational accelerations. Balance's third component is called proprioception, a network of sensors in our skin, muscles, and joints, which help track each of our limbs' relative position. But looking at objects more than 65 feet away can create conflict with the other senses. A glance at the bottom of Niagara Falls, roughly 200 feet below the wire, could create mixed signals to a mixed brain, resulting Dizziness or vertigo. Of course, it could be argued that Nick Belenda has already proven he can suppress one of our most important senses, common sense. For ESPN Sports Science, I'm John Burns. All right, Boogrofson, put my blast. he has no common
0: sense, that man, for walking on a rope. Come on, man, I can't even walk on the regular ground level, a rope. And, uh, so here's the thing about this, uh, the reason why I show you this video is because there's something very interesting that happens with tightrope, tightrope walking. Basically, what they explained, and you might have missed it, basically, when you are walking on this rope, there is such an intense amount of focus that has to take place on what? The rope, yes. (laughs) If you walk on the rope, and you start looking at your own way, last thing, she's there. If you start looking at that girl you got a crush on, he's there, she's there.
1: What happens
0: to you on that rope? You fall. you fall! You just drop to the ground! And here's the thing that's interesting about this video and this guy. This guy was walking almost 100,000 feet. No, no, sorry. He had 100,000 people who were present, but there was 10,000 feet in the air, which is madness. All right, and as he is walking, what, they, what makes him so incredible is that his level of focus was so intense on that rope that he didn't allow the water that was gushing on him from Niagara Falls. He didn't allow the crowd who was yelling at him. He didn't allow the fact that he could die in front of his family on national television. He didn't allow all of those things that were anxiety triggers. Would you have anxiety if you were on that rope? Boy, I have anxiety thinking about that rope. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh. And as he's walking on that, he had to focus so deeply on the rope. Because if not, he would fall. And the truth is when it comes to the situation that you guys face as teenagers, when it comes to the things that you deal with, some stuff that you deal with that is in your control and some of the stuff you deal with that is completely out of your control. You as teenagers, you guys deal with a lot. And I know sometimes you feel like adults. I know sometimes you feel like your parents don't understand when you say, I am just so anxious, I have so much going on, school has me stressed out, I have this, I have that, and I know you feel like people don't understand, but the truth is, we do. We understand that you're going through so much. Your parents understand that you're going through so much, even if they don't voice it well, they know that you're going through a lot. Your generation, Generation Z, is actually one of the most stressed out generations ever. No, not ever, since the Depression. And the depression, that meant everybody was poor. And and so what they're saying is your generation is the most stressed out. One of the reasons is because of the way your schooling system is built. A lot of your teachers' careers is based off how you do on tests. And that causes them to teach you in a way that causes a lot of stress and anxiety. And so you deal with so much that my generation, the generation before me, we just really don't fully understand. And I know for a lot of you, it feels like you're on the tightrope always. One bad step and you fall. You feel this level of anxiety that sometimes could be completely crushing. And what we're going to be talking about today are three different things for you to focus on. See, because if you begin to focus on the stuff that's bringing the anxiety to your life only, if that's the only thing you put your attention on, will the anxiety leave? No! You'll just fall off the rope. And so let's look at the first thing that we're going to be uh, talking about that we need to focus on in light of this psalm that we just read here. See, the first thing that we need to put our attention on when these high moments of anxiety come up, when very painful things have taken place and we are stressed and we are overwhelmed, the first thing we need to focus our attention on is how are we feeling? and the psalm from verses 1 to 7 what it exposes to us that here is this person who is writing this psalm here is this person who is writing this and they in this moment from verses 1 to 7 it is this person literally just venting the feelings the psalm opens up with him saying as a deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for God even at one point look back down look at verse 3 he says my tears have been my food I'm just crying so much. I'm eating my tears. This man's in his feels. This man is broken. He's dealing with something that's bringing a lot of anxiety and a lot of sadness. And what's amazing about this psalm from verses 1 to 7 is we see a high level of transparency. We see him looking at his feelings and not suppressing them. Not lying about them. Not masking his feelings but voicing them. And when you are in a moment in a season of anxiety, you have to be somebody who focuses on how you're feeling. What am I going through? What am I thinking? What am I scared of? And here's the thing that happens with, with people, not just teenagers, but with people, is sometimes when it comes to voicing our feelings and focusing our feelings and venting those things out, sometimes we do that in a very unhealthy way. Sometimes we take our feelings and we just, we grow them on social media, right? I hate her. Right? And, you, and you put the most wretched stories up and everyone's angry. and You hate everyone. Or, or sometimes we, we, we bring out our feelings to our parents and it's like, ah, right? I'm anxious. And it's almost like fire is just blowing all over your house. One of you just later went in and oh my gosh, how does he know? How does he know? Your parents tell me. <laughs> But the reality is we know that when when the school year comes towards an end, it's finals week, that's when you have the most arguments with your parents. Because you vent out your anxiety, you let it out in a way that is very unhealthy. But sometimes we don't do that. We don't let it out. And sometimes we treat our feelings like a balloon. And just imagine if I had a balloon here and, and I was going to go and blow it up, right? And I'm blowing it up into this nice little ball. And then all of a sudden, every time I feel a moment of anxiety, I just go, I keep blowing up the balloon little by little by little. And then eventually I keep, <laughs> what's going to happen to this balloon unless, unless I let some of the air out?
1: It's going to pop.
0: And the same is true for some of you. Unless you develop and figure out a healthy way to release some of that air, some of that that you're following in into your feelings, to release it out slowly in a controlled manner, you are going to pop. And the pop for some people looks like anger. The pop for some people, even for some people, their pop is them turning to drugs of different kinds. For some people, their pop is turning into bad relationships. For some people, their pop is turning into just a wide range of different kinds of sin. And here in this psalm, this man who is going through so much, he teaches us what to do with our feelings. To make them known, to focus on it, to not avoid it, to not say the lie, I'm fine." I'm fine. Boy, you ain't fine. You're not fine at all. We can see it on your face. You're not. You're filled with anxiety. And you need to have the freedom to be able to voice that. Now, here's a healthy way to voice those kind of feelings. In your tribes, in these moments of high anxiety, when you come here on Wednesdays, and you sit in your group with, with, with your adult leader, and you sit with other people in your grade, and you can sit there and be like, man, look, this week, my highs and lows." I don't even have one high. I've just been low. Straight anxiety all week. Making those things known to the people in your tribe is one healthy way to go ahead and handle the anxiety and to get it out in a healthy way. Another way, maybe three of you teenagers will agree with me, but it's the truth I tell you. Talking to your parents about it. Sitting your mom down or your dad down or or your guardian down and saying, look, I'm just really stressed out. And not say it to them in an argument, I got anxiety. No. But sitting them down and saying, oh yeah, mommy, mommy, can we have a scene? Listen. I'm freaking out, mom. My hair. My hair's all over the place. I can't handle this. Right? But taking a moment to make that feeling known to a parent is important. Here's why. Because even though many of you may not believe this, There's no one on this planet that loves you more than your parent. Your parent has a love for you that is literally unconditional. Your parent gains nothing from you. They feed you. They clothe you. They house you. They listen to you. They deal with you. They provide everything for you. And they get nothing in return. But I got
1: anxiety!
0: That's all they get. (laughs) And yet they keep doing it. And yet they keep providing and caring. Why? Because even though some of you may not believe it, they deeply love you so much. And to voice your anxiety to them, to sit them down, even though they may not fully understand, even though they may not have the best words, that's you letting some of that air out of the balloon. And keeping yourself from popping. And that's what the psalm writer is doing in verses 1 to 7. He's focusing on his feelings. Some of you suppress it. And you're dying inside. And you're making terrible decisions because of the way you suppress your anxiety. It comes out. Controlled or uncontrolled? So let's look at the second thing. The second thing that we see here that we need to focus on is we need to focus on what we know. We need to focus on what we know. From verses 8 to 10, what the songwriter is doing in, in, the, in that little section there is he's kind of like explaining basically what what he is kind of putting his attention on in this moment. We don't know what's causing his suffering. We don't know what's causing his pain. We don't know what's causing this massive anxiety in his life. But what we do know in verses 8 and 10, he's saying, this is what I'm focusing my attention on. God is my salvation. I will put my hope in God. I will focus on him. I will focus on what I know. Here's what happens when anxiety takes place anxiety comes in your life what the one of the main things that brings forth the feeling of anxiety in us is the unknown the unknown is what causes us to be like "Ah," because we just don't know what that's my anxiety face i'm sorry like like if i'm ever in my office "Ah," you'd be like yo angel you need to let some air out that balloon bro because that's your anxiety face you told us about it and so i'll give an example of this okay uh so so with me, I've I've had in my life I've had three uh, anxiety attacks, which is kind of um, I don't know. at one point I thought that was a big deal, but as I've met your generation realizing that's like that's like lunchtime for some of you guys. <laughs> like like so, some, some yeah, it's true, like generation Z really deals with so much. And and I do need to give like a a side note to this whole sermon. There is some cases where people really have anxiety and some medical issue and it there needs to be medicated. And so what we're talking about today is not in place of that medication for some of, for some of us in this room who have anxiety medication. We are no way saying that what you deal with and what your doctors has, have given you is invalid and this replaces it. That's not the case at all. And so in my life, my first anxiety attack was actually when I was in college. I had three 10-page papers due in one week. I had just gone through a, bro- a breakup I had just figured out that, um, whatever, don't worry about it, and so I had all this stuff happen to me one week, and I'm like, oh my gosh, and then we had to pay our bill for our spring semester, and I was like, oh my gosh, Like and it was just like one of those weeks, like, oh my gosh, I'm on the tightrope in the water, and there's so much happening, and I remember just having this complete panic attack in my library. And I'm sitting on my my laptop and I'm just having this moment where, you know, for those of you who've been through that stuff, you you start over hyperventilating, you start freaking out, your blood pressure goes up. You're just thinking, oh my gosh, this is it. And um, and so as I'm sitting there having that moment, it was almost like something really from God. I'm just going to be honest with you. In that moment, it was a matter of I felt from within my heart there's all these things I don't know. I don't know how I'm gonna pay my spring semester. I don't know how I'm gonna go ahead and handle these three papers. I don't know what I'm gonna do about this girl who just broke my heart. I don't know how I'm gonna handle all this stuff. And as I'm sitting there filled with anxiety, stressing out, sweating, all the whole nine, I realized I need to worry about what I do know. And, I, and as I was freaking out, I took out a piece of paper and I started writing things I know are true. And instead of focusing my attention on things I was unsure about, focus my attention on things that were true. And as I started writing this out, I wrote, OK, I know God loves me. I know that. That doesn't change because of these situations I'm going through, regardless of how big they felt at that moment. And I look back down and I'm like, that oh, wasn't that big of a deal. But I know he loves me in this. I know God's writing my story. I know God is still good. I know even though I'm stressed, even though I'm freaking out, I know I still have a God who is real. I know God is still involved in my life. And I wrote this list of 20 different things that I know. And I'm not even joking, as I sat there looking at this list of the things I know, about who God is, about who I am, I can almost feel like that anxiety just melt. Because when we focus on the things that we're unsure of, when we focus on the things that are exterior, just like with the tightrope, what he tells us in that video that we just saw is hey, don't focus on what's outside, focus really what's on the inside. Focus on what you know is true in these moments. And we see that here with this songwriter because what he's doing is he is anchoring himself on what he knows about God. Look at verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and by night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock. And in this moment of him him reflecting on what he knows about God, he still even brings forth a question to God. Look back down to verse 8. Verse 9, I'm sorry. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. And what he's doing in this moment, he's focusing his attention on what he knows is true. And in the process, he's not being fake. You see, a big concept of the Bible, for those of you who have not had much time studying the Bible, you have to understand the majority of the Bible is pushing human beings to not be fake, but to be real, to be honest with their feelings, to be honest with their fears, to be honest with the things that are happening inside of you. And in this psalm, he even, in his moment of reflecting on what he knows is true, he still takes a moment and says, God, have you forgotten me? In your anxiety, as you focus on your feelings, as you focus on the things that you know are still true, don't believe you need to be fake. Don't believe you need to act like you got it all together. The people who act fake will always get fake results. The people who are real... The people who are true, the people who are genuine, always experience true and genuine results. Fake provides fake, always. And so here's the third thing that he goes ahead and looks at. He focuses on what he can control. And so you need to focus on what you can control. For some of you seniors, you are entering this season of life where it is just potentially filled with moments of anxiety transitioning to a new city, transitioning to a new way of handling your schoolwork, paying for school, some of you, getting jobs, all of this stuff. Some of you who are, who are in 10th grade, going to junior year, this upcoming year, oh my gosh, this is when all of the schools look at you saying, this is the most important year, right? And they heap all of this anxiety on you. SAT, ACT, and some of you are like, shut up, right? <laughs> And this is a year where potentially like they start growing those logs on a fire of anxiety and it starts flaring up and there's so much that could be taking place and we can get so caught up with the things in all reality we have little control over. But in verse 11, in verse 11 we see that the psalm right here, he's putting his attention to what he can't control. He's putting his attention on to what is happening in his heart. He's putting his hope in God. And what takes place in Psalm, in verse 11, he actually says it again. He says it first in verse 5. He says this twice. Hope in God. I'm going to put my hope in God. My hope will be in Him. I can control my desires. I can control my feelings. I can control where my focus and my hope is put in. I will put it on God and Him alone. In those moments of deep anxiety, when you're on that tightrope of life, when you're on that tightrope of different scenarios or whatever it is, as you're there, we need to focus on what we have control over. And that laser focus will drive us to a place of freedom. That laser focus will drive us to a place of experiencing the life that we are built to experience. And as the Spirit of God seeks to melt the anxiety, as the Spirit of God seeks to bring a rest to it all, we get to experience joy even in the midst of something that's so, that should be bringing so much anxiety. And so why would God be someone who we should be putting our hope in? Why would there be truth in who God is even in the midst of anxiety? Why would the truth of the fact that God loves me still matter even when the world around me is burning around? Why would these things still matter? Why would this still be something I should put my focus on? Because it's true. See, when we look at the gospel, when we look at, the, when we look at Jesus, what we see in, in the moment at the cross, the fact that God would love the world so much that he would take his son and send him into this world to live a life that none of us here can deserve or could live, and to go ahead and go on the cross and deal with a punishment that all of us here deserve for our sin. And God, in his grand love, would look at us and say, I love you, and my love for you is so True. As my son goes to the cross, this will be a symbol for the rest of eternity of the grand love that I have for all humanity. And that Jesus on this cross will provide forgiveness, he'll provide salvation, he will provide all the things that we cannot provide ourselves, all while showing us that God loves us, that God seeks to be with us, that God is someone we can trust. All the truths that we should always put our attention on when things around us are chaotic. And so listen, I know for some of you in this room, anxiety is a very real issue. And you need to handle it in a very real way. Don't just take it, just, oh, I just had anxiety yesterday. Let's just deal with it. I got over it. But if you focus on how you feel, if you focus on what you know is true, and if you focus on what you can control we see freedom in all of this. So listen, in our tribe discussion, what we're going to do is we're going to actually, at one point, you're going to make a list of all the different things that would give teenagers anxiety. And that's going to be an easy list for you guys to make. And what you're going to do is, as you make this list, you're going to go through the list and basically unpack, okay, how would this make us feel? Like, let's, let's verbalize it, like really, how, let's actually write three different ways that this would make us feel. And this is going to be an exercise to teach you almost how to verbalize your feelings. For those of you who were here last week, we talked about emotional intelligence, guys. We talked about how little of that we have, and I know that from my own personal experience. I either feel happy, sad, or mad or hungry. That's all I got. And so, and so, guys, like really, really dig deep, dig deep on those different feelings. Google like a top ten feelings chart and use it. I feel number seven when I look at this, and so. So really allow yourself to learn. This is an exercise for you to really learn how to express yourself. So look, with all that being said, let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll break off into our tribes. There are some of you who are here for the first